and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Baptism is a symbol of what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Being lowered in the water represents our old life dying. Life dying. Just as Jesus was dead and buried, our past and future sins are gone forever. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. When we are raised out of the water, it represents our new life in Christ. Just as Jesus was resurrected, we are a new new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Has come. Today, today we celebrate as people take their next step and tell the world that Jesus has brought them from death to life. life. Today we celebrate the miracle of a changed life based upon their profession in Jesus Christ. In the name name of the Father, Father, the the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are buried with Christ, raised and raised to walk in newness of life. Newness of life.
The psalmist writes, Come and see what God has done. How awesome are his works in our behalf. Amen to that. In your bulletin, you will find an insert. And you'll remember a couple weeks ago, our missionaries, Sarama and Rose Varghese, were with us from the Andaman Islands. And the insert is a little more information to kind of keep you up to date. One side has the little boys, the other side the girls in their orphanage there and the work they're doing. So be sure to take that home and keep them in your prayers. Next Sunday, oh, let me remind you, those of you who are on the church board, we're going to have a meeting by Zoom, a Zoom meeting Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And you will be getting a Zoom link either tomorrow or Tuesday morning. So be watching for that and plan to join us Tuesday at 7 o'clock for the Zoom board meeting. Now, next Sunday, time change. Don't forget that, obviously. And by the way, the staff recommend you set your clock before going to bed that night. All right? Move it forward one hour. And, uh, oh, Wednesday, I forgot. Wednesday is our lunch with the staff. Uh, and we always have a great time. Join us this Wednesday, 1130. We meet over in the uh, fellowship hall in the DFC. And bring your own lunch and join us. We have a good time of fellowship. Next Sunday, uh, the time change. And then also, uh, a baptismal meeting. If you have not been baptized or you have a child or grandchild has not been baptized and you're interested, uh, we're going to meet next Sunday after the worship service. And uh, I hope you'll plan to join us. In fact, on the back of your connection card, check that so that we can keep, keep up with you on that information. So that'll be next Sunday. All right, it's good to see everyone this morning, and I'm going to ask Ron to come and open us in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity and the privilege of meeting here to worship you. And Father, we... Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and through your grace that we have eternal life. And as we come here to worship you in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, prayer, and the word, we ask that you be with us, enter our hearts, make us more faithful to you as you have been to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. Let's stand and sing together, Alas. Did my Savior bleed? All four stanzas.
Well, Michael's coming. I want to mention it's good to have Phil Speck with us and her husband Charles on the organ. It's glad you're here today. Our scripture reading for this morning comes out of the book of the Galatians, where Paul writes to the, the group at Galatia, uh, commenting here on uh, denying ourselves, uh, doing what it is that God wants us to do versus what we want to do. Please read these words with me from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved himself and gave himself for me. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, that you 
would bring an end to this pandemic. We pray for our nation, and these are difficult and troubling times. And we especially want to lift up our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and the the tragedy, the suffering that is taking place there. We pray that you will remove the president of Russia from his position and bring peace and stability to that place in Europe. Father, we pray as we look at world events, we know that we are living in the last days. These are the end times. Help us to live every day knowing that Jesus could come back today. We lift our voice in praise to you, Father. May your words, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be honorable and acceptable in your sight. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You know, this world is full of disease and war and very, very scary things and ultimately that lead to death, but Christ brings life and resurrection.
Jesus denied himself. He took up his cross. And on that cross, he made atonement for our sins. And what he asked of us is that we too deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. From the book of Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. <clears throat> Surely our griefs, our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. <clears throat> but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for your Son, Jesus. Gave his life that we may have life. Shed his blood so that we may be cleansed. And Father, as we gather around this table uh, to commemorate his death, to remember what he did for us, and he asked us for so little. And so, Father, bless us, bless these emblems as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brought and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes
when Jesus told his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, I think he, he told them they should expect some hardship just for, the, just for the crime of being a Christian. Let's sing together, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Four stanzas. Verses 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Let's pray. Our fathers, we give back a portion of what you've given to us. We ask that we use it wisely, use it to extend your kingdom, to continue to spread your word, and ask your blessings upon this congregation and upon those we serve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and we're going to begin at verse 27. Mark, chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. It is page 714 in the Pew Bible. 714, if you would like to follow along in the Pew Bible. Mark, chapter 8, and we're going to begin at verse number 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. 
On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then he called to the crowd. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Let's pray. Father, as we study this passage that has so much meaning for us today. And I pray we'll we'll grasp the significance of it and embrace it in our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, deep within every one of us is the search for significance. The thing that really drives us is the quest for who we are. It is that pursuit of why I am here. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, Steve Croft, who was with 60 Minutes, he was interviewing Tom Brady. Tom Brady was at that time the quarterback for the New England Patriots. And they were talking about, you know, how, how Tom Brady has really fulfilled his dreams, his goals, his ambitions in life. And Tom Brady makes this statement to Steve Croft on 60 Minutes. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater for me out there? I've reached my goals. I've reached my dreams. But there has to be more to life than this you know what he's saying and by the way you know Steve Croft asked him what do you think it is and Tom Brady said Tom Brady says I wish I knew I wish I knew now that was that was in 2005 seven Super Bowl rings all right and I'm telling you nothing has changed he's still asking there has to be more out there than this you know, fame and fortune and success. These, these things do, do not answer those down deep questions of who really am I and why am I here? What, what is my purpose in life? You know, um, 
Some of you who are my age, you'll remember the Beatles, right? You remember the Beatles? Some of you remember. They came up with a song that I think really summarizes the world, the emptiness in our world today. Remember the song, He's a Real Nowhere Man, Living in His Nowhere Land, Making All His Nowhere Plans. Doesn't have a point of view, doesn't know where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like me and you? He's a real nowhere man. The thing that drives us is this pursuit of who am I and why am I here? And you know, Jesus comes along and he says, I can tell you why you're here. I've got the formula. I've got the steps that will help you understand who you are and why you are here. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at, I think, one of the most important teachings that Jesus ever gave during his lifetime. You know, in, in today's passage, Peter is going to make this, this historic confession that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. And from that statement are going to come four powerful statements from Jesus. They're like a chain, four links in a chain that sort of like dominoes begin to come, uh, follow one after the other. And we're going to look at all four of those links. First of all, Jesus is going to affirm that he is the Christ. Then we're going to look at his explanation of who he is, that he's come, his purpose is the cross. And then we're going to see how he rebukes those who reject the cross. And then the last thing we're going to look at his call that we take up our cross. Let's take a look. First of all, Jesus affirms he is the Christ. Now, he is, Jesus and his disciples are up in uh, the northernmost part of Israel. It's called Caesarea Philippi, way up in the north. And what he's going to do now, he's going to begin his journey to Jerusalem. And that's what chapters 9 and 10 are all about. His journey to Jerusalem, because in chapter 11, you have Palm Sunday. His entrance into Jerusalem. So he's beginning his move to the cross. And he asks his disciples while he's way up there in Caesarea Philippi, he says, who do, you, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're like Elijah. You know, I think what, it, what they're saying is, boy, he reminds us of John the Baptist. Or he reminds us of Elijah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked the big question. The question that matters the most. Who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter, I think, this is Peter's greatest moment. This is where he shines. The spotlight is on him and he, he delivers. He says, you are the Christ. And Matthew tells us, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that is a tremendous confession. That really, that is the foundation of our Christian faith. That is the central truth of Christianity, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the, of the living God. Anything less than that is not Christianity. In fact, we would say that a Christian is one who's come to the same, um, the same understanding of Jesus that Peter has come. That Jesus 
A Christian is somebody who's come to the realization, the understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're going to see here in a minute that he's also the one who went to the cross and died for our sins. What Peter is saying is, Jesus, I have come to understand you are far greater than a prophet. Because the prophets, they were always looking forward to a coming Messiah. You are the Messiah. The prophets, they were always saying things like, this is what the Lord says. But with you, truly, truly, I say to you. The prophets were always, they were always uh, pointing to salvation. But with you, Jesus, you are salvation. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You're far greater than a prophet. You're the son of God. Now this, by the way, this is the difference between, between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion has a prophet for its founder and its leader. From Mohammed to, to uh, Buddha to all the others, they always have a prophet or a great spiritual guide. And all of them always had the same message. Here are the things you have to do to have eternal life. Here are the five pillars that you must obey. Here are the eight paths you have to follow. They always have something that you had to do to have eternal life. And Jesus comes along and he says, Oh no, wait a minute. It's not what you do. It's who you trust that saves you. Jesus says, it's not in working. It's in receiving. And so Jesus is a far different person than all the other religious leaders. In fact, it's not the works that we do that saves us. It's the work that Christ has done on the cross. So here Peter makes this historic confession and Jesus affirms that. Now that brings us to the second link. Here the second link, Jesus now explains his purpose in the cross. Now they know who Jesus is. They know who he is. Now it's time, it's time that they learn why he has come because they don't know I want you to notice verse number 31 Jesus says uh, it says he then began to teach them that the son of man that's important we'll talk about that the son of man must must suffer many things he'll be rejected by the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again and he he spoke plainly about this this is nothing cryptic there's nothing uh, hidden here he's plainly we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed I'm going to be crucified there he's giving them a kind of a, a heads up this is what's on the horizon now Notice that Peter, when he confesses Jesus, he confesses, Jesus, you're the son of God. When Jesus refers to himself, he refers to himself as the son of man. Now that's significant. By the way, that comes from the book of Daniel. The son of man is a specific title from the book of Daniel. Daniel is given a glimpse into heaven. And in that glimpse into heaven, he sees a glorious king who has an everlasting dominion. 
And the title of this glorious king who has this everlasting dominion is the Son of Man. Now let me read that passage from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel writes this. He says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into the presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power and all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that he was, that he will not, that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see what Daniel is saying about the Son of Man? Daniel says the Son of Man is a glorious king. And uh, so glorious that nations and people will worship him and his kingdom will never end. Now how does that square with Jesus and what Jesus said about the Son of Man? Jesus said what about the Son of Man? The Son of Man is going to be rejected. He's going to be crucified. He's going to suffer. Daniel said, no, the Son of Man is someone who's going to be a king, a glorious king and reign on a throne and people will worship him. What's going on here? Jesus is putting together two lines of prophecies that are throughout the Old Testament. Two lines. There's one line of prophecy. That's this one. That's the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. This glorious king. But there's another line of prophecies. Jesus is the suffering servant. And no one had ever thought of putting these two together as the same person. Let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 13. His appearance was so disfigured and beyond that of any man and his form so marred beyond any human likeness that he has no beauty, no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. He's rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So you have two lines of prophecy. One, a glorious coming king, and another, a suffering servant. And Jesus says, I am both. No one had ever put those two lines together. What Jesus is revealing here is that first must come the cross, and then comes the crown. And that is why the disciples are so disoriented about this. Peter is so disoriented, he's so confused that he rebukes Jesus. Matthew tells us exactly what Peter says. Peter says to Jesus, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. What? You will never be a suffering person on a cross. Far be it from you, Lord, may that never happen to you. And that brings us to the third link in this chain. The third link, Jesus will rebuke those who reject the cross. Verse number 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. That 
is a remarkable, forceful rebuke. In fact, this may be the most forceful rebuke that ever came from Jesus' lips. You know, remember how when Jesus was in conversations with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, all those people who are kind of on the marginalized end of society, he was always kind, he was gracious, he was uh, uh, always... He called them, he called one lady his daughter. He called some a child. I mean, he was always gracious to them. Now, when it came to the religious leaders, well, he was abrupt. (laughs) He was even abrasive. He called them liars. He called them hypocrites. He called them gravestones. He called them snakes. He called the religious leaders everything you can think of in the book. But even all of that, I don't think even comes close to what Jesus just said to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And by the way, think of the timing of this. Just a minute earlier, Jesus just gave Peter the greatest blessing. Blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father, blessed are you, Simon. And then in, in the next minute, He's saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That is, that is a powerful rebuke. And you know, the rule of thumb, by the way, is if you're going to call somebody out on the carpet like this, you generally don't do it in public because you don't want to humiliate people. But this is a special situation. All the other disciples are listening. They hear this. And it's because I think They need to hear it. I believe that what Peter just said to Jesus, that we don't want you going to the cross, don't even even think about that. I believe they were all nodding their head in agreement. Don't even think about going to the cross and dying on a cross. Well, it's a serious matter. I don't think Peter realizes the seriousness of what he just said. What Peter is doing here is that he is rejecting the very idea that Jesus should go to a cross and suffer and die. Do you see how serious that would be? What if Jesus did not go to the cross? Where would that leave us? Without hope? Without forgiveness? Without salvation? I mean, that would leave us in a terrible situation. This is a serious matter. In fact, it's so serious. This is exactly the same thing that Satan presented to Jesus when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. On one of the temptations, Satan takes Jesus up to a mountaintop and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and Satan says, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, Get lost, Satan, basically. Almost the same thing that he says here to Peter. Get lost. You see, what Satan was offering to Jesus is the same thing that Peter is suggesting. You, Jesus, you can have the kingdom without the cross. You can have the glory without the suffering. But if that were, if that were ever to happen, if that would have happened, where would that leave us? Hopeless lost 
and condemned. And I do think that's why Jesus tells the disciples, he says to them, don't you go around talking about me until you understand why I've come. So, Jesus is saying, he is saying, the cross is in my future, guys. Now, if you're going to come with me, and he's getting ready to now make this big journey to Jerusalem. He says, if you're going to come with me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me to Jerusalem. And that brings us now to the fourth link in this whole series of statements of Jesus. And this is the one in verses 33 and 34, 34 and 38. And here, again, Jesus is up in Caesarea Philippi. He's starting his journey downward. And here's what he says to them in verse number 34. If anyone would come after me, if you're going to stay with me, guys, you're going to stick with me. Anyone who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. That is the formula. That is, that, that is the secret, the steps to finding who you really are. Why you're here. What is your purpose? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. See, in order for Jesus to fulfill his purpose... He had to deny himself and he took up his cross and obeyed the Father. And Jesus is simply saying, that's how I found myself and my, this is how you will find who you are and why you're here. Deny yourself. Now when Jesus says deny yourself, all right, and this is Lent, good time for this passage, I guess. He is not suggesting, all right, he is not saying that we have to um, deny ourselves uh, the luxuries of life. He's not saying that. You know, he's not saying that we have to deny ourselves chocolate, all right, uh, banana cream pie, um, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. He's not saying that we have to deny ourselves all these great luxuries. He's not suggesting that we have to, um, we, we cannot have, we cannot buy a new set of clothes. He's not saying that we cannot uh, uh, have a comfortable home or drive a dependable car. That's not what he's saying here. When Jesus says, deny yourself, what he is saying is, you have to deny your selfishness, your self-centeredness, and your sinfulness. And I think all of us here knows what it means to be selfish, self-centered, and sinful. We simply intentionally, we purposely, we deliberately, we say I'm not going to be selfish about this. I'm not going to be self-centered about this. And I'm not going to commit sin over this. And we do that. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that. It's something we can intentionally, purposely do. We know what selfishness is. It's what he says next that is a little frightening and a little intimidating. He says deny yourself and take up your cross now a cross is a symbol of death anybody who was saw anybody you saw carrying a cross was on their way to execution by the way and what well what Jesus is really saying is deny yourself and die to self is really what he's talking about and I I came across an interesting t uh, statistic this week did you know that 300, let me get it right, 379 people, 379 people died 
in 2021 taking a selfie. They were standing on a bridge and fell over. They were on a cliff, fell over. They were on a building, they fell over. 379 people died taking a selfie. And what I would say is, don't die taking a selfie. Die to self. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Die to self. Now let me, let me see if we can explain this a little better, all right? You talk about dying to self, denying yourself. We have two natures as Christians. We have an old nature. And that old nature is selfish. It's self-centered. It's sinful. It's, it's who we are in our fallen, sinful state. It's who we are as a fallen human being. It's our bad side. And we all have a bad side to us. But we also have a good side to us. It's who we are in Christ. And that good side is, is a side of us that wants to serve, that is, that's giving, it's serving, it's helping, it's, it's righteousness. It's, it's that good side of us. It's the side that shows up every Sunday morning, right? It's here today. And I love what John Stott says. I think in his book, The Cross of Christ, I think he gives us probably the best understanding of what Jesus is talking about when he says, deny yourself, die to self, and follow Christ. Listen to this, because we have two natures within us. He says, who am I? What is myself? The answer is, I am a Jekyll and Hyde, a mixed up kid, having both dignity, because I was created and recreated in the image of God, and depravity, because I still have a fallen and rebellious nature. I am noble and ignoble, beautiful and ugly, good and bad, upright and twisted, image and child of God, yet sometimes yielding to the devil from whose clutches Christ has rescued, rescued me. My true self, and I like that phrase, my true self, my true self is who I am by creation with Christ who came to redeem me. My false self is who I am by the fall. And that Christ came to destroy. And then he says this. The self we are to deny and crucify is our fallen sinful self. Everything that is incompatible with Jesus. We must strenuously deny and crucify that fallen self. And the self that we are to affirm, that self that has value, is our created and redeemed self, everything within us that is compatible with Jesus Christ. We must be fearless in denying and crucifying that selfish, sinful self, and we must be um, um, fearless in affirming who we are in Christ. So we, we deny that false self, that bad person, and we affirm the true self. Now, why do we do that? Here's why. Notice verse number 35. For, here's the reason. For, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I put this up on the PowerPoint. I want you to notice something. The word translated life and the word translated soul in these verses 
It's the same word. Now, the Greek people had a word for life. And that was zoe. That's the Greek word for life. Eternal life. If you have your heart's pumping, your brain's got uh, working, and you're, you're, you're alive, that's life. That's not the word used here. The word that's used here is quite interesting. It's the same word in all four places, and it's the Greek word psyche. And that word, that word, that word denotes who we are at our inner core. It is that that person, it is our true self down deep within us. It is that person that God created us to be. And what Jesus is saying here is you, if you want to be that person that God created you to be, your true self, your psyche, that person who is that real you that God created you to be, he says if you want to be that person, then you've got to lose that false self that you are in the fall. He says, you'll, what he is saying is this, lose yourself following me and you will find your true self. What Jesus is saying is, you look at me at the cross, on the cross, and you let that shape your life. Now this is, right, this is challenging. It is challenging to grasp because it's contrary to the way we've lived our lives, the way, the way we're taught to live our lives in this Western world. In our world today, we are taught, if you really want to uh, find yourself, you have to follow your dream. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? Follow your dream in life. But you know what happens after about 10 years? You follow your dream your dreams change. They do. You know, the dreams you had when you were 20, they're not the same dreams and goals that you have at 30. And the goals and dreams you have at 30 are not the same goals and dreams you have at 40. They constantly change. And that's why people who follow their dreams never really discover who they really are in Christ. And I think Tom Brady is a good example of that. Now he's come to the end of his career, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Another example, Lee Iacocca. He retired a number of years ago from Chrysler. He, he, he wrote an article in Forbes magazine. Let me read you a paragraph out of this. What do guys like me do who, have all the, who has all, the world that the, all that the world has to offer? I have notoriety. notoriety. I've made money in the car business. Now that chapter is closed. I don't think much about cars anymore. You can plan everything in life. And then when the roof caves in on you because you haven't done enough thinking about who you are and why you're here and what you should do with the rest of your life. You know what happened to Lee Iacocca? He came down, he retired from the car business and suddenly he realized that who he was he had never really, he doesn't even know who he is. He doesn't know what he's going to do with the rest of his life. What Jesus is telling us here is, when we lose ourselves following him, if we will lose ourselves following him, we will find ourselves. We'll find out who we really are. Because he will lead us to being the person that God created us to be. And you know, you will know when you have truly begun to find yourself You'll know that when you can, you can look at your cell phone and you can say, you are not my life. 
Right? I mean, you got the banking app on there, and you got your Facebook app on there, and you got your pictures on there, and you can say to your cell phone, You are not my life. Christ is my life. A number of years ago, there was a, um, a youth pastor in Chicago. He wanted to take his youth group down to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. Now, he knows that the temptations are going to be pretty great when he gets down there and gets on the beach. And so he's trying to think, how can I help keep my students? Uh, they're focused on why they're there. And they're, they are there to evangelize, to share the gospel. And so what he did, he went to the lumberyard and he bought a couple pieces of wood. And he made a cross. And on the morning when they were to board the bus to head down to Fort Lauderdale, he brought out the cross. And he said to his students, he says, we are going to take this cross everywhere we go. We're going to take it to the beach and every day we're going to plant it on the beach so that no matter where you are, you can see that cross and you'll be reminded of why we're here. And that is to share the gospel. Now some of the students kind of rolled their eyes. You're like, oh great, this is wonderful. Well, after they have the, their prayer, they all get ready to board the bus and he tells them, let's get that cross on the bus. And when they stop at the first restaurant to go in and get something to eat, they take the cross with them. They take the cross back up onto the bus. When they stop for the night at the hotel, they take the cross off, take it in with them, take it back, put it on the bus. And when they got to the beach, they took out, every day they took the cross out to the beach and they planted it there. On the last night, he gathered all the students around the cross and he gave them all a nail. Two nails. And he had a hammer with him. And he talked to them about denying yourself Take up your cross and follow Jesus. He said, if you're willing to make that commitment tonight, he said, I've got a hammer. I want you to take one of the nails that I gave you and hammer it, hammer that nail into that cross. A little bit of hesitation. But after a few minutes, one of the students got up and he hammered his nail into the cross. And then another, and then another. And at the end of the night, everybody had done that. And he said, I want you to take that other nail and keep it. And that is your reminder that on this night you made a commitment. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow Jesus. And what Jesus is telling us is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me because only in following Christ you have to lose your life. Deny it. And then you'll really begin to find out who you are and why God created you. So here's what I want us to take home. We deny ourselves, We die to self. Because it's the only path to finding our true self. We have to deny ourselves, Our old selfish self. We deny it. We die to self. And that's how we find our true self. But you know if you're not a follower of Jesus. You'll never find out why you're here. You'll never really understand who you are. It only comes when you put your trust in Christ. He comes to dwell within you. And that is when you begin to find out who you really are and why you're here. Let's pray. Father, 
We're thankful for these words that Jesus gave to his disciples. They, they're relevant for us today. And how we too, like the disciples, we need to make that decision. Follow, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. May we do that. And if there's someone, Father, who's here today, they've never done that. They've never put their trust in Christ. And I pray that today they'll, they'll put their trust in him. And they'll be on a journey and learning who they really are and why they're here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. Take my life. Please stand. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my if you have a prayer or would like for someone to pray with you we do have elders and they're here up front I'll be up front also uh, the choir we're going to take a few minutes as well after the service and have prayer for Glenda and her surgery if you'd like to join us we would welcome you to do that Uh, we certainly all need prayers sometimes and surgery is one of those times let's have a closing prayer together Father thank you for loving us Enough that your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, would deny himself, take up a cross, and make that atoning sacrifice for our sins. We're so thankful he did not sidestep sidestep that, but went to the cross for us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All the way my Savior leads me Cheers each winding path I tread Gives me grace for every trial Feeds me with the living bread Though my weary steps may falter And my soul a thirst may be Gushing from the rock before me Though a group of joy I see Gushing from 
wellspring of joy I see.